This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. Hey everybody, welcome to Gun Owners Radio. Dave's not in because it's Mother's Day and he's one mother of a host, so we gave him the day off. Um, 1170 AM. The Answer. Excellent job. You deserve the best tools to defend yourself and your loved ones. The problem is that lawmakers don't understand that criminals don't obey the law. Gun control laws just make it harder for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. So what can you do about it? Join a Second Amendment activist group like San Diego County Gun Owners. San Diego County Gun Owners makes activism easy. We connect you with other gun owners. Working together, we're getting more pro-gun officials elected. Join today at SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com. Just go to SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com and join today. How's it going, everybody? It's nice. You read that just exactly the way Dave would read it. That's cool. (laughs) Well, that be I that was a little that's a, nice, that's a nice touch. I was a little better, wasn't I? <laughs> all right, everybody. So Dave's off. Um he had to go do some important stuff, so we're all here. Uh Joe. Joe, how's it going, man? I'm here. In spite of having a mother and being married to a mother, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> and we have uh special guest Phil. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And what are we gonna talk about with you a little bit later? Uh San Diego flight training San- and aviation. And thank you for being a sponsor of the show. Really, really appreciate it. Of course, we got Action Jackson. What's up, young man? I'm doing well. What did you do yesterday? Oh, uh, well, I had to wake up at like 7 o'clock for this. 7 o'clock? Yeah. And what did you do at 7 o'clock? Went to shoot an Escondido match. Nice. How did you do? You shot with your 9mm? Yep. And how did you do? Great. You did great? Did you have fun? Yep. Good. Did you give your Did you give your mom an extra an extra smooch on the cheek today for Mother's Day, for being such a great mom, taking you to a gun competition? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Hey everybody. So Assemblyman Levine has gutted Assembly Bill twelve twenty seven. Assembly Bill twelve twenty seven started out as like a solar panel bill. It was really just kind of a you know puppies and ice cream you know kind of bill. Well, they gutted it. And it is now going to be a firearms and ammo excise tax, which I don't know if you remember. Was it? I think it was a year ago or two years ago. They tried the same thing. So now it's going to be a 10% tax on firearms and ammo. 10%. That's a cool process. How do you go from, uh, from, from solar panels and how, you do that gutting and you end up with a tax on firearms? Exactly. That's that cool. Yeah. So I, I, Phil, can you, I, but you can't wait to pay 10% more on your... Delighted, and they do that all the time in the assembly, where they basically cut and clip, and then they keep the title the same. What so do you, it confuses people. What, you ran for office a few years ago. I did. What do you? What do you? Th- why, why do they do it this way? Like, why is it done this way? Why? Why aren't they more straightforward? The simple way would be bait and switch. You put together a, a title of puppies, gumdrops, and <laughs> something else, and people never read past that point, and people don't get in the detail. That's why you need shows like this to really point out 
what's going on so people actually read past the title. It's it's a sham. Well, plus if you were being honest with it, people wouldn't support it. I mean, that's they do that all the time. Uh, it's a lot of the propositions we have and the, the titles end up getting changed. And then people just don't understand what it is they're voting for or not voting for, and, and things move right along. Well, it was defeated last time. Like I said, I think it was last year. I don't know if you guys remember. Was it last year that they had the same excise tax? Or it was two years ago? Yeah, I do remember that. I can't remember when. Though. So it was defeated. They're bringing it back. I don't know how they're, you know, I don't know what they're going to do to change it, but, you know, <laughs> there's so many bad ideas that have been implemented in California. It's, it's almost like they're just running out of ideas and just going, all right, well, let's just tax it. You know, we, we can't, we've banned and everything we can ban. We've, you know, restricted everything we can restrict. We have waiting periods and, and, uh, you know, you name, let's just start tax, whatever. We got to do something. We have to be adversarial somehow. So let's just start taxing things. Um, and, and by the way, you, this tax is earmarked. So it's going to go to like the, you know, victims of whatever gun violence, blah, blah, blah. So they're actually they're just it's just a it's just a shift of funds. They're just taking this money. They're going to tax you. Uh, they're they're blaming you, the gun owner, for what criminals do. They're taking your money because you're to blame for what criminals do, and then they're going to give that money to this five hundred one c three that's going to uh, like you know waste it. And, you well, know, that's on, I'm assuming the definition for where that money goes or how that money gets used is going to be very broad. I would think. So it's it's going to go to a lot of places that you would not you would not think. Well, they're going to do well, you know a lot of these five hundred ones. What they what they do they kind of do this backdoor you know politicking. You know they it's education. Well, yeah, but really what you're trying to do is get more voters to vote the way that you know you want them to. But uh, can can I ask, uh, add something? Because it sounds yes. like they're trying to respond to what the right is doing right now in terms of uh, these education bills. Or uh, because this whole abortion thing is starting to spread to other states, this is what the left's trying to do in response to what the right's doing. They're like, okay, so what's the next thing, best thing that the right likes that since they're hurting us? Yeah. Oh, gun laws in that case. So we're just going to do that. That's what it sounds like to me. It, it does feel that way. And there is another bill that's a little bit more of a direct response to, to what you're talking about, the, the abortion bill in Texas that stood the Supreme Court uh, uh, decision and and that's that they're they're trying to make it easier for people to sue gun manufacturers, which is they're 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 equating it's it's apples and oranges. It's it has it's totally different, but they're equating that bill to you know the abortion bill, which is again it's total it's total hypocrisy. All the people that were against this abortion law in Texas and against the Supreme Court's decision were against it because it was unconstitutional and it was unfair and it was horrible and it was unethical and all these horrible, horrible, bad words. But if but now they're ready to do it, you know, against people that they don't like, which are gun owners, which is, you know, the, the height of hypocrisy, the height of hypocrisy. So that suing the manufacturers is definitely a direct response. This, I think, is just kind of their business as usual. Let's beat up on gun owners and raise taxes. Well, they're arguing about, because um, usually there's a discussion about, is it a fee, is it a tax? And I think taxes have to come through the legislature, right? I think it's yeah. that way. Yep. Fees can come from just about any place. Is that a, uh, a reasonable I, I, statement? Yeah, I think, yeah. So I think because this is a bill coming out of the legislature out here, this is officially a tax. Yeah. The result is the same. As a gun owner, you're still paying more. Yep for your purchases and the money's being taken and going someplace that you probably wouldn't want it to go. But, um, yeah, but it's a so, 10% tax. Yeah. So that's what this is. 10% tax coming out of legislation. Now it hasn't passed yet. They just, 
gutted and amended this bill, and the bill again, did I, did I lose it? It's 1227. Is that what I said it was? Yeah, 1227. So, Bill 1227, you know, you know, write, you know, the emails and send the faxes and make the phone calls and do all the things you need to do to the assembly members. You know, all their decisions are already made, though. I mean, still show up, still do the, the work, you know, take the 15 minutes to, you know, write an email, print the email out, fax it, and then fold the fax up and, and mail it in and then, you know, make a phone call and, and recite what you wrote. Do, do that for 100 percent. I'm not discouraging that. But what I am encouraging is to uh, the reason that San Diego County gun owners and Orange County gun owners and Inland Empire uh, gun owners, the reason we exist is because. By the time they make it to Sacramento, their mind's already made up. There's not much we're going to be able to do between now and whenever they vote to change anybody's mind. It's pretty, they're pretty much already made up. Maybe one or two might you know, swing here and there. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But it is a Hail Mary. What we do by trying to get the right people elected, that's the ounce of prevention rather than the 50 pounds of, of cure. Um, so please, please, please get involved, especially, you know, we're, what are we, five weeks away from an election? Yeah, and, well, you know, and you never know, too, because um, the last thing that I thought was guaranteed to sail right through was where they wanted parents, uh, where they want school districts to require parents to uh, disclose their gun ownership at the schools. And I thought for sure there's nothing to stop that. I mean, Newsom will certainly sign it. And that failed. So maybe yep. this one will fail, too. Well, let's hope. Next, we have the mayor of Temecula. He's running for state assembly. We're going to talk to him next. Stick around. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. FM 96.1. 1170 AM. The answer. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, 961, 1170 AM. The answer. So Matt Ron is a great example of why it's so important to help local pro-gun officials get elected. They start local, and then they move up the state and federal position. Matt's the mayor of Temecula and is now running for state assembly. So more with Matt, maybe, next. If you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call California's firearm lawyer, John Dillon. If you have any questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you need to know that your guns are California compliant, call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws, Call 760-642-7150 or visit his website at DylanLawGP.com. DylanLawGP.com. Truly, truly, truly one of the hardest working attorneys I've ever met. Very, very dedicated to uh, the Second Amendment. I got to tell you, anytime I need a question answered, um, he's right there for me. He's extremely thorough. I get a call probably weekly. I probably get about about a week, about every once a week on average, somebody that needs an attorney because of the screwed up firearms laws in California. Does that, does that surprise you at all, Phil? Not at all. And uh, I'm glad these people are around. Yeah, he uh, he really is great, too. He's been so supportive of San Diego County gun owners. He's been supportive of everybody. But let's talk to Matt. Uh, Matt's the mayor of Temecula. He's running for... Uh, assembly, and uh, we wanted to have him come on the radio and talk about guns. Matt, you there? Yes, I am. Good afternoon. How you doing, man? I'm I'm really good. I'm really good. Fantastic. Pronounce your last name for me. It's Ron. Ron. Okay, Matt Ron. R A H N. Matt Ron. 
and you're the mayor of Temecula. Yes, I am. So what got you into politics, Matt? Oh, you know, what gets you into anything? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, one of our uh, uh, longtime council members was uh, was a friend of mine, and he was uh, getting ready to retire. He was actually a former uh, highway patrolman, um, and uh, we used to get pancakes together at Mimi's Cafe in town. And one one week, he uh, he asked me if uh, I'd be interested in running for city council and uh, taking his uh, his seat, and I told him no. <laughs> um, and, and then we got together a, a little while later, and he. Uh, he kind of shared with me all the folks that have run for city council over the years. And, and he said, you know, I think you'd do a better job than, than, than these folks. And we'd love to have your perspective. And, and I agreed. So that's, what was that's your perspective? Like, what were you doing at the time? Well, you know, I've always been, uh, uh, working in, in, uh, uh, research and education, but at that point had spent a lot of my, uh, career in, in, um, uh, public uh, safety. So mostly working with uh, firefighters and uh, uh, a little bit in the, with uh, law enforcement as well. Like consulting or what, what kind of work? No. So we actually, uh, so, so ultimately it led, led us to uh, launching the first uh, degree in the wildland urban interface firefighting in the United States right oh, wow. here in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, didn't you just give a talk on, on TEDx, didn't you? Oh yeah, a little while ago, I sure did. Was that is that was it was it related to that or what was that subject? It was yeah. I so I spoke about uh, gosh, that was several years ago now, and kind of ringing the bell uh, then, saying you know our problems with wildfires in California are you know uh, pretty extreme, and uh, boy, even since then we've had you know we've beaten records on you know uh, acres lost and and uh, you know homes lost and everything else. So. We've been we've been talking about this for a long time, and I think folks are finally catching up with us. You know, okay. So under the Trump administration, you had Trump saying, "Hey, look, you need to you need to manage the, you know the, the wildlife better. You need to you know rake the the forests and and everybody made fun of him for saying that, but that's the official term. That's exactly yeah. what was missing. And then you had uh, you know uh, everybody in California that that was running the government, mostly in the in the in the Democratic Party. Saying that it's no, it's it's simply gold, uh, uh, global warming. Period. It's global warming. Right. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that can be done. We just have to fix global warming. What what's really causing all these? Fires? You sound like you're a legit expert. So what's what exactly is going on? You know, I always equate it to uh, uh, to, to several things. So so the outcome of any incident is going to be based on four factors. Uh, one of those is definitely the land management. You know, what has that land been used for? Is it overgrown? Is there more fuel in there than it is? You know, do you have, you know, invasive grasses and other things that can create more of a flashy fuel, right? Land management is a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. Um, and so so I wouldn't disagree, you know, maybe, uh, maybe President Trump, you know, uh, uh, oversimplified it. But yes, land management is a huge, huge part of the puzzle. The other one is is you can call it weather, you can call it climate, whatever it is, but it's kind of the buildup of of what's been you know happening, um, you know up to that point, right? Are we in a drought? Are plants you know stressed out? Is there disease outbreaks? Whatever, um, is it hot? Is the you know Santa Ana winds? You know all of that. Those things we don't necessarily have any control over. We can't control the wind. We can't control the precipitation. All that. 
Then the other two things that we do have direct control over are staffing and resources, mm-hmm. right? How many firefighters do we have and how many resources, you know, the different engines, the uh, helicopter support, the tankers, bulldozers, you know, those, all of those things play a very important role in determining the outcome of an incident. Um, so you can't just look at one and say you've solved the problem. So that's all, that's a very intelligent answer. It's a very intelligent, uh, thorough answer. Um, and, and I feel like that's going to serve you really well going into the assembly. I mean, this, that sounds like sure. something the, the you know, state government should be able to fix, especially when you know, starting from, from uh, the legislature. Is, is there more the legislature should or could be doing? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of it just has to do with you know, just the state of California alone is responsible for around 31 million acres of uh, wildland area. Um, and, you know, we call it the state responsibility area, 31 million acres. I mean, you know, when you start thinking about, uh, having to manage, you know, that much, um, land, it's, it's, you know, it, it seems insurmountable. Right. Uh, but I always tell folks, you know, where we are today here in California is the result of 150 years of bad decision-making, right? If you go back just to the 1970s nationwide, we only burned about 3 million acres a year total. Today, California last year had one fire that exceeded 1 million acres all on its own. You know, so these are just decisions that we've made over the years, whether it's, you know, watershed management, whether it's, you know, habitat protection, whatever it is. And we've decided that we're going to stop timber harvest and we're going to stop all of these practices that we had been doing for generations and all of the fuel built up around that. And then at the same time, we decided, hey, you know what we're going to do is we're going to put 5.1 million homes intermixed in this high-risk area as well. You know, so <laughs> how, I mean, how do you avoid you know, that? I mean, that's do you, how we got here. But how do you do? You just have to do a better job of protecting them. You're not talking about saying, hey, you can't, you know, telling people, hey, you can't build houses here or there or whatever. You're, no, no. I mean, you know, we have to protect the constitutional rights that we uh, all, you know, think are very important, especially you know when we talk about property rights. Um, but, but it just means that we have to do things more wisely, right? Our, our, I think the one, one thing that I would say is, is we don't have a code and a standard that is at the level that addresses the kind of fires we experience today, mm-hmm. right? We just haven't been keep, we're always, we're always sort of behind the curve, it seems like. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, not just as far as the resources and the staffing, um, but, you know, but also our, our code, you know, how we develop, what materials we use, you know, all of that uh, needs to uh, needs to vastly improve. Now, is there is there like a state or an area of a state out there that you can that that, that you can compare, you know, uh, that you can say, hey, if California had done what X, Y, Z area or state had done over the last 20 years, um, then then they there wouldn't it wouldn't be as bad and you can tell because you can compare and you know they have fewer fires or they handle them better is there a comparison like that or is California just too unique? You know, believe it or not, uh, I would I would argue that California is is much farther along. So you know, you go back all the way to 1991 um, when the Oakland Hills fire happened. You know, and it was a devastating incident, right? Uh, you know, the number of homes lost and, and lives lost. Uh, but, you know, it only burned, uh, I think it was less than 3,000 acres total. Um, you know, and, and on our scale today, that's a small incident, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that was just the first real look at how our 
you know, how our state is changing. And it was, uh, you know, a little over a decade later that we have, you know, the Cedar Fire in San Diego in 2003, exceeding every, you know, uh, record that we had had at that point. Um, and it, you know, reached uh, close to a quarter of a million acres. Um, and uh, and now that isn't even in, you know, the top top 10 largest fires in California's history, right? Oh. But I would say that California is far in front of this because it's been experiencing it much longer. I was just at a meeting in Las Vegas last week um, with the International Association of Firefighters and people from all over the country. And, uh, you know, even Boston has experienced, you know, fires now, and they're trying to figure out how to deal with wildland fires. Um, you've got Connecticut, you know, states that you never would normally think would be worried about wildland fires. And I kind of, you know, mentioned at this meeting, I said, you know, I feel like you guys are where California was in 1991, wow. right, with the Oakland Hills fire. Um, and so there's, you know, a national need, not just California, but a national need. And so everybody's turning to California because they know how to fight wildland fires better than anybody does. So they, so on the one hand, it sounds like, you know, hey, we're doing great. But on the other hand, we could do a lot better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. There's always more we can do and there's always more we're finding out. Um, and I think the, uh, you know, the thing that we need to uh, we need to start focusing on again is the uh the the staffing and the resources and being able to truly invest in a large-scale management plan for the state of california you know everybody liked to i'll go ahead sorry i was just how long were you 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 have served in on temecula city council for how long now eight years and what's 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 the thing you're you're proudest of what's your your jewel in in your in your cap that you're you're saying hey i you know this is one of the reasons you should send me to the assembly Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll mention two. One is the um, when I first got on the city council, um, you know, I said uh, that the city of Temecula should have a strong higher education presence here, college and university. Um, and during that period of time, we were able to help um, uh, Mount San Jacinto College and Cal State San Marcos establish a solid footprint here and invest in uh um, you know, several hundred thousand square feet of, of campus uh, that just launched this last year. Uh, the other one I would say is is traffic. Um, you know, I got a report that came across my desk several years ago that said our section of the I-15 was in the top 10 most congested sections of freeway in the United States. Um, and I said, you know, for a city of 115,000 people, we shouldn't be on that list. Um, so you fixed it. We did. We, nice. we, we, we actually went toe-to-toe with state and federal agencies all over the country, and thanks a lot to uh, Congressman Calvert as well. All right, we're, we're, gonna, we're actually going to go to break, 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 and then we're going to pick up right, right after, and we're going to talk a lot more with, with Matt Ron from Temecula here on Gun Owners Radio, 1170 AM. The Answer. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio on 1170 AM. The answer. Happy Mother's Day. Leo Hamels is San Diego's top shop when you're looking for the perfect gift. If it's, excuse me, it's too late if you're shopping for Mother's Day. But if you're looking for the perfect bladed Mother's Day gift for mom, Leo's got your back. When you buy from Leo Hamel, not only do you get the best deal, you're also supporting the Second Amendment. Support the companies that support the Second Amendment. Call 619 299-1500 or visit their website at leohamill.com to find the jewelry buying location near you 
always get awesome service at Leo's. Call 619-299-1500. Definitely, definitely support our sponsors and let them know that you're supporting them because they are sponsors of Gun Owners Radio and San Diego County Gun Owners, Orange County Gun Owners, Inland Empire. Uh, we're talking to Matt Ron. He's the uh, mayor of, um, of uh, is it? Temecula. Temecula. Thank you. I almost said Marietta, but it's Temecula. Sorry about that, Matt. Uh, don't worry. I don't know if you guys have a huge rivalry. Is there like a big, like, uh, is there a big, uh, like a big uh, basketball game or, or, or tug of war competition between the two cities? I, yeah, I hope we, I didn't. We, we don't, we don't have that, but you know, I, we all, all refer to a Marietta as just Temecula North. So. <laughs> nice. So, all right. So let's talk about guns. Um, you're going to the assembly, hopefully, right? Um, I hope so. Yeah, you, uh, you know, Sacramento, California, some of the absolute worst gun laws in the nation. Um, truly adversarial. Um, it's not even, it's so far beyond just common sense gun laws, to use their term. It's so, bar, so, so far beyond, you know, the gun laws are so far beyond reasonable. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Or what are your thoughts on California gun laws? Well, I mean, you know, coming from Nevada years ago, uh, I, I had always heard, you know, California was a little bit uh, uh, crazy when it comes to their gun laws, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of things that I've seen, um, you know, being here for, for the last uh, 20 some odd years, uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you can go back to, you know, even uh, what they're talking about, like the micro stamping, yeah. the bullet buttons, the, you know, none of this prevents the kind of crimes <clears throat> or incidents that they're, they're trying to prevent. And quite frankly, bad guys don't use California certified guns. Right. So why do we keep trying to struggle against that? Right. You know, it's amazing. Right before COVID happened, I went to a meeting and it was ATF. DOJ was not there, but it was ATF uh, mainly. That was the main agency that was there. And and the gist of the meeting, they started out by saying, hey, we want to go after these horrible, you know, drug dealers that are trafficking guns and, and, and you know, they're horrible gangs and bad guys, and whatever. And the room was full of uh, firearms dealers. And everybody kind of shook their head. Yeah, we don't want drug dealers and, and gang members to, you know, use use guns illegally and obtain guns illegally. And the rest of the meeting was all about the roster, which is what you're talking about, how, you know, the, the micro stamping and, and you know, uh, and how to, uh, how to basically how to bust people for trying to uh, buy a modern firearm, buy a, a firearm that didn't make it to the safe handgun roster and how they're going aggressively after, even though it's ATF, which is federal, and that's a state law, they have this uh, the, kind of this, this bridge law that basically allowed them to enforce California laws. And I remember, I, I remember asking one of the guys, you know, are drug cartels really, really that interested in using a Gen 5 Glock as opposed to a Gen 3 Glock? I mean, that's really what we're doing here. And, of course, I was being kind of a you know smart aleck um, and trying to prove a point, but it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous what they're trying to do. So what what do you what can you do as a as a you know most likely a you know you're going to be a you're a Republican, right? Yes, I am. So you're going to be in the minority if when when you get elected. What what can you do when you go up to Sacramento? How can you how can you help gun owners? Well, I think the the easy answer is just uh, bringing balance back to the. Uh, capital, right? Um, I, I think the the conversation needs to have some qualified folks. You know, the, look, the people who who make a lot of our laws in California have no experience uh, in in the areas that they're making laws about. 
you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to, to, to see these folks and, and take them out to a range and, and show them about what, you know, what they're passing laws about and why what they're doing makes no sense. You know, we talk about common sense all the time and, and, you know, we all as gun owners, you know, see these uh, bits of legislation come down and we shake our heads saying this doesn't solve any problem. This just creates new complexity and cost. Um, and, and I think, it, you know, part of it is just simply an education. What is the core issue that you're trying to solve? And you're not going to solve it through something like, you know, micro stamping. Now, how much has, has have guns come up much on the on the city level while you're in your eight years? Not not really. Um, you know, it's really not a place we have much jurisdiction over. I forget. Do you guys, uh, does your police, do you have a police department or you contract with the sheriff? Oh, we, we proudly con- contract with the uh, Riverside Sheriff's Department. How great is Chad Bianco? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. You know, that guy has just been uh, a pleasure to work with over the years. Him and our district attorney, Mike Hesterin, are just, Two of the best people, you know, Temecula is the 16th safest city in the United States. Um, and it's because of, you know, our, our relationship with law enforcement and our ability to work with them to solve our problems. 16th. That's interesting. In the United States, really? Yes, absolutely. That, I mean, that's that's pretty big. I don't know how many I don't know how many hundreds of cities are on that list, but being 16th, that's pretty good. It's a big deal. I'll I'll tell you, Myriad is actually number three, I think. So we'll give him that one. <laughs> you should uh, who, you should be more concerned with who's fifteen, and you should send a bunch of people over there to, you know, I don't know, <laughs> do some graffiti or pick pockets or something, and see if you can pull ahead. <laughs> right, little by little. <laughs> um. So okay, so you guys don't issue on the on the city level. You don't have a police department. All, everything, all your CCWs go through the the county, and you guys, uh, thanks to Sheriff. Bianco, you guys have just had a huge growth in your in, in how many CCWs uh, were issued. Um, I think it was something like uh, he, he's done something like ten thousand since since he uh, has been in in the sheriff's seat. Do do you think it's a do you think the world's a better place the more sane, trained, law abiding people have a CCW? I do. Yes. Talk about why. Yep, it's an easy. Well, you know, I, I mean, you know, look to the, to the other states who aren't as restrictive as, as California or, or some of the other counties here. Um, you know, and if you want to talk apples to apples sort of comparisons, start looking at the actual data that are out there that talk about, you know, how CCWs and, and different gun laws, you know, uh, can, can be beneficial to public safety in your communities. Um, and I think, uh, I think Riverside County in general, I think we're, uh, we're, we're all better for it. How did you come to these conclusions? Did you grow up around guns, or did you kind of come to this opinion, you know, as an adult, or what formed your opinions on on the Second Amendment and guns in general? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, you know, family was in law enforcement. My brother's currently in law enforcement. Uh, you know, grew up around it. Grew up in Nevada, which definitely has a different uh, uh, character when it comes to uh, to you know firearms there. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and just, a, a different acceptance, different understanding. Um, you know, if you, if you hunt and fish and you do all those other things, you know, you just, you just kind of grow up with it. Now, do you have, so you're, I mean, you're, you're the front runner who, who are you running against, by the way, is it an open seat? It, uh, so, so this seat would technically be for Kelly Ciardo, who's running for the Senate. And so it, it kind of is an open seat. 
And then uh, I'm running against uh, Kate Sanchez out of Orange County. So Kelly is a Republican as well. So it's safe to assume it's a it's a pretty Republican district. Very much so. Second highest in the uh, state. So as long as everybody does what they need to do, which is uh, donate to you and walk precincts for you and make phone calls for you, um, you're likely going to win. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, the uh, so so that's going to leave some an opening in, in Temecula. Do you, do you have somebody picked to uh, that you that you're supporting to take your place, or how does that work? You know. Yeah. So so we have uh, so my seat would uh, just sort of naturally expire at the end of this year uh, since my term is up. So if I don't rerun, um, it's it's going to be an open seat. Um, uh, the beautiful thing is is uh, the district that I'm in has some very qualified folks who have already uh, sort of recognized that I might not be there next year um, and have stepped forward. And, and there's one uh, candidate in particular who uh, I've been working closely with that uh, very fond of. Um, Who's that? Can't really release his name. No. Yet. All right. Okay. So he's got to, he's got to make some uh, announcements himself. I, I see. don't want to ruin it for him because they don't, I he, think everybody will be. Temecula doesn't yeah, have a primary. He's, 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 he's uh, whoever you're talking about, the, the race is going to be in November. So he isn't announced yeah. yet. Okay. Gotcha. And right. I, honestly, being a part of the minority party, I think one of the most important things you can do, because it's going to be very hard for you to really pass any legislation, any Republican, it's going to be very hard for them to pass any legislation up in Sacramento. And I think one of the most important things for, uh, for, for the minority party members to do is fill the benches. You know, Make sure that there are people uh, that uh, reflect your views, particularly on the Second Amendment, that are running for school board. Uh, you know, running for the uh, uh, city councils and, and that sort of thing, and really truly supporting their their campaigns. I don't know if honestly, I think if I had if I had one critique for the Republican Party, Joe, and only one critique, it would be uh, <laughs> it would be uh, that they don't do enough of that. They don't re, they don't fill benches enough. Is that something that that you'll you'll concentrate on? I don't know. Maybe you've been doing it already. It sounds like you're already working with somebody to take your place, which is great. But is that something you can commit to? Oh, absolutely. I think it's something we're all all very committed to. You know, there's been a history of, of uh, Republicans, unfortunately, uh, during campaigns and, and elections, creating these sort of circular firing squads where we we shoot at each other rather than, you know, other folks. And so it, uh, you know, it weakens the party, weakens the candidates and, and creates opportunity. Um, and uh, we need to we need to stop doing that work together and make sure that we put the best candidates forward that can win um, and, uh, you know, and bring people back, you know, our fastest growing, uh, you know, population out there is the decline to state or independent voters. Yeah. And we need to give them a reason to come back. I, I agree. Uh, we, I got to tell you, our organization in San Diego and, and of course, Inland Empire and in Orange, I have a lot of conversations with decline to state voters who left one of the other party, usually the Republican Party, but they left one of the other party because uh, the party stopped standing for, uh, for, for, for the hard things, for the things that they care about, the things that matter to them on a day-to-day basis. And, of course, in my bubble, it's the Second Amendment. Um, but I absolutely agree with you on that. It's, uh, um, it, you know, decline to state is, is in, in a lot of areas, is the second biggest party. So, anyway, what's your website, Matt? It's uh, runforassembly.com. R-A-H-N for assembly.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Check out his website. And, you know, Alex is right on the corner. So please help him. And uh, thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it.
All right. We make fighting for the Second Amendment easy. Stick around for more Gun Owners Radio after this on 961 AM. The answer. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, 961 1170. The answer. Joe. Knock, knock. Who's there? Gladys. Gladys who? Gladys Mother's Day, because you're talking to Jackie from, because we're talking to Jackie from the Packin' Mama Society next. All right. Here we go. Does it take too much time to clean your guns? Clean, lube, and protect your guns faster with CO1. CO1 CLP Plus is natural, non-toxic, and environmentally friendly. Clean your guns easier and faster. You'll also smell better, too. Something that moms will appreciate. One and done with CO1. Ask for it by name at your local gun shop or get some on their website, CO1.com. That's CO1, the number one, dot com. And it tastes good as well. There you go. Put it on your sandwiches. Yep. Yeah. Brush your teeth with it, maybe? Um, okay. Jackie Johnson is, of course, Mother's Day, like we said. So we wanted to talk to the Pack and Mama Society. And uh, so we got Jackie Johnson to come on and, and join us and, and talk all about it. Jackie, you there? Hi there. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on special a special day. You bet. Well, thank you for taking time out of your, your, your Mother's Day to come and talk to us. So tell us what the Packin' Mama Society is. Awesome. Yeah, so I started Packin' Mama Society... I want to say 2017, and I really wanted to be like a voice for women to come out to the range. Uh, when I first started um, really getting into guns, there wasn't married, like there wasn't very married women instructors in the industry. So I thought, you know, what the heck, let's go for it. And I didn't look at it like as a business at first. I kind of wanted to get, you know, my friends and family just to come out to the range and really get them trained because, you know, one thing is just to hand them, you know, a firearm and be like, here you go, go shoot, you know, and one thing is to really get them trained and learn the fundamentals and how to be safe, especially with moms, you know, we have kids. So um, more and more I got into it, you know, years went by, I was like, oh my God, you know, there's a huge following in this. Um, A lot of the women I trained, you know, are either they're scared, they're intimidated, they won't even walk into a gun store. So I kind of wanted to make like a safe space um, at the range to come out and ask any kind of question. You know, I get questions where they're so embarrassed to ask and it's like the funniest questions or the cutest questions, you know, and I want to make them feel comfortable and safe, but also like learn and have fun. And it's been a wild ride for sure. Wow. So what got you into it? Um, When I was 15, I was actually assaulted and I was, um, I was almost raped. So after that, I kind of wanted to learn how to defend myself, but I was still so young, I wasn't quite sure how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually shot an AR-15 um, down at Iron Sights in Oceanside when I was 16. And as soon as I, you know, I shot for the first time, I was like hooked. I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do for a living. Like, I want to learn anything about guns. I want to learn everything. So yeah, it basically started from there. <laughs> Well, I'm very sorry you had a bad experience. Uh, that sounds horrible, and I'm glad that you are. You took the route of empowering yourself, and, uh, it's, and yes. it's, it sounds like you're having a whole lot of fun doing it too. 
It's so fun. And it's also, you know, it's so crazy because I teach when I first started, um, I was teaching about maybe one or two women um, a week. And this was about three or four years ago. And now I'm teaching about 20 to 25 women a week. Wow. And is yeah, it is. Even though I'm not shooting, I'm watching these women pull the trigger and the excitement, the empowerment, the smiles on their faces is like the most, you know, it's like a blessing. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky I get to call this like my job because <laughs> if I could do this for free all day long, I truly would. Sodi, is it, uh, is it like, uh, is it like a, a set curriculum or is it just women who, you know, hey, I want to learn how to shoot and I'm at this level and then you, you help them get to the next level or how, how, how does it work exactly? Um, so when you come on to the range, the first, um, I always ask them questions when they sign up. If they are more like the beginners, mm-hmm. um, I have firearms they can rent for me, and I literally start them from the ground up. So, you know, basic range rules, the fundamentals, how to grip your gun, how to stand, everything in between. Um, if they're more, you know, hey, my husband has taught me how to shoot, but I'm kind of rusty. I just need, you know, some brushing up skills. We have like a level two class that I teach. When I first started, it was beginner. You know, that's all I would teach. Now it's becoming such a like trend for women to come out here. And I'm so, you know, I'm so pumped on that, that now I'm offering about like five or six different classes. Oh, wow. I literally just, yeah, I literally just started a all women shooting club down at Rainbow Range. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. We know Rainbow. They're awesome. Yeah, they're awesome. Oh, I love them. So how did women find you? Like, how did, did, did it, is it just kind of all word of mouth or how did all that happen? Is, and do you only train women? Uh, no. So word of mouth also is always amazing, but social media, um, you can find me under Pack and Mom Society. And then um, I don't always just train women. Um, I do an event called Coffee and Calibers, which I call it's like a girl's day on the range. That one is women only. Um, I use coffee and donuts and we shoot and play games, you know, for prizes. But I also do like CCW prep classes. Um, I do a lot of date nights, which I have like husband and wife come out. Um, so it just depends what you're looking for. But yes, I do train women. I train men. And then I also have a class called Mama, Mama and Cub classes. <laughs> and I do children how to, you know, treat me, how to truly respect the firearm and be safe. That's awesome. What what age do you recommend? I actually have two very uh, common questions that uh, women seem to get a lot. Number one is how 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 old? What's the minimum age for to to teach kids to, to actually shoot? You know, it's such a personal question for me as a mom. I have four kids, so to me, I honestly think my daughter. She started actually shooting. I taught her to shoot when she was four, but that's like I said, personal question everybody's different um but i honestly on the range i want to say the more the maturity level is around 10 10 and up i would say 10 and up all right when did you jackson yeah. when 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 did you start shooting how old were you uh, i was eight when i started shooting. you're eight but you're really mature for your age right uh you could say that <laughs> yeah and how what are you nine now yep you're you're like nine going on 40 buddy so you're very mature for your age Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then here's the other here's the other question that women get a lot: um, shooting while pregnant. Do you recommend? Uh, what do you recommend women that are you know while they're pregnant should they go to the range or is there a cutoff or what, what's what's your advice? 
Um, obviously, you always want to ask your OB, but um, me, I was shooting. I had my daughter, my fourth. Um, I was 25 weeks, but, you know, I was doing this at least, at least once or twice a week. So my OB definitely recommended after 25 weeks, that's when their hearing starts to really develop. Mm. Um, so after 25 weeks, I did, you know, I did stop. Um, it was hard, but, you know, obviously the baby comes first. So <laughs> like I said, though, ask your OB. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's that's good advice. So what's uh what's like the most moving story or what what's a, what's a really rewarding experience you've had with one of your students or uh you know tell tell a quick story about something that you think about and smile. Uh you know I've had so many um actually this is like kind of my favorite one to tell cuz it's 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 such a good story. Um I had a lady she was 87. She came out because she was terrified her house had actually broken into. They tied her up. And the two individuals, um, they actually had robbed her place. And when she was tied up, they told her, we'll be back for you, Grandma. So then after that, she got in contact with me. And the first time she came out to the range, I swear, she couldn't even um, load the gun. She was terrified. She was shaking. Three weeks later, she bought her own shotgun. She (laughs) came out to the range. Like I said, the first time she came out with her own shotgun, um, she was still kind of trembling, opening up her bag. She was like, you know what? I haven't even touched it. The lock was still on it from the gun store. So we took about like two months. Um, It was about two months that we actually did some lessons back to back. And then I want to say about five months later, she came out to the range and she opened up her gun bag, loaded that baby up, and (laughs) she saw. I mean, at least like 25 times she shot. And on the last time she shot, I was standing behind her. I was actually taking a video of her and she shot her last, shot her last show. And she looked back at me and she, she said, ha, try to get me now, boys, come get this grandma. <laughs> That's awesome. My heart, my heart stopped and I was like, this, this is why I do this. This is why I, you know, this is why I train women just because I want them to feel empowered and I know they say it's a man's world, but it's like, all right, boys, move over. Like, <laughs> it's time, you know. And you're up in, you're in, I know that uh, Rainbow is actually in San Diego County, but you're in Riverside, right? Riverside County? Yes, I'm actually, yeah, I'm in Hemet. I commute to Rainbow about two, depending on um, how many bookings I have. Um, like I said, I'm a mom of four kids. So I'm pretty busy at home also. Four kids? So I'm at oh about two to three times a week. Wow. Okay. So, but most, I, I'm, I'm assuming most of your clients are Riverside. Most of my Riverside lately, um, just the same, like I said, word of mouth is getting out to like more San Diego. Now I've had people drive up from Oceanside well, both, down there. Both so. Riverside and San Diego have, have uh, had a huge boom in CCWs in the last few years. You must, that must make you really happy. It makes me so happy and then to know that it's women chasing their ccws like yeah. that makes me even more happy I recommend all women to go after it we have such an awesome sheriff here in riverside county so i'm like girls go get it <laughs> <laughs> all right jackie how do people find the pack and mama society yeah you guys can find me on facebook under pack and mom society or like i said i always put my you know personal phone number out there reach me um if you have any questions especially my girls i know they get nervous going into the gun stores I always tell them I'll go with you, so just give me a call or a text. I know it doesn't. It, it, it's you don't. Nobody has to twist your arm to make you go shopping for at a gun store, do they? 
No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> What's your one last? Oh, there, there's the music. Well, thank you so much, Jack Johnson, Packing Mama Society. Happy Mother's Day. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking time. Get a grip with Joe Dramisi next. Listen here on KCBQ 1170 AM. The answer. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio on 1170 AM. The Answer. If the Biden administration has its way, we will have a ministry of disinformation. More accurately, not to be spreading disinformation, they have proposed a disinformation governance board to combat the dissemination of misinformation. Could this be a response to the Democrats' increasingly dismal prospects in the coming 2022 midterms? Nah, they wouldn't do that. More after this. A lot of companies are frustrated with their website. It looks old, it's hard to update, and it's not generating leads. SageTree gets it. Since 2005, SageTree has been helping companies with websites that look great, work great, and get leads. Stop being embarrassed by your website and get one that you're proud to share. Contact SageTree today to get a website that makes the phone ring. Getting started is easy. Go to SageTree.com and schedule a call. Go to SageTree.com and press that schedule a call button. All right, Joe Dramisi, the Ministry of Disinformation or Misinformation or whatever. That's your article, right? It is, yeah. And um, we didn't publish it on the on our gun owner site because it's not uh, the article itself isn't directly about guns. Although I will weave that in here today because it, it absolutely can be. Um, but uh, for people who want to read it, it's on uh, getagrip.substack.com. So that's where the article is. But, uh, yeah, the Biden administration has proposed or has enacted a, um, a disinformation governance board, I guess is what they're calling it. And um, what this is supposed to do is free us from, from the uh, threat of disinformation out there. <laughs> from the tyranny of truth. Well, and, and you know, and I was, if you're <laughs> going to have something like that, I mean, and, and what I say in the article is, I mean, that this, this should be extremely frightening and alarming to all Americans um, no matter what your your political views are, um, the idea that the government is is going to decide now what what you can see and what you can't see, what's real or what's not real, what's information, what's disinformation, uh, and that that should be a really alarming thing. And not enough people, I think, are alarmed about that. Um, and you know, if you're going to do something like that, though, I mean, why not have the experts do it, right? I mean, the the Biden administration's been been governing disinformation for the last 18 months now or so. So, um, 
you know, you should be have people that are pretty good at it. They, um, the person that they, so that you're saying they're, they're really good at disinforming. So <laughs> they should, they, they'll recognize uh, disinformation when they see it or at least deciding what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, again, uh, the person they've not, or they've put in there, I guess, is to head this up is uh, a woman named, uh, Nina Jankowitz, who, uh, again, herself is, uh, and, and, you know, and not to get, uh, how do you not get like that? I was going to say not to get real political about it. But I mean, she's she's pretty much like everybody that gets associated with that that current administration. I mean, this is a what most people would call a far left um, extremist type person. If you if you look at her writings and things that she talks about, um, videos of her, um, you know, on uh, that you can find online. Um, she actually did one uh, one a guy that I read a lot of on the Powerline blog, a guy named John Hinderaker. Uh, whom I've been reading for about 15 years now, just did a little piece on her. And he had a video clip of her doing this little song and dance thing. And, um, you know, he had some issues with the, the crude language and stuff. But I, I have to say she's she's got a fair amount of talent for an entertainer. Um, to head up a, a group that's supposed to determine what's real information and what isn't, um, you know, I don't know, someone that um, – you know, says that uh, what CRT is is used by the uh, what the Republicans now to um, to manage emotions. I think is what she was saying, something like that. Manage emotions. Yeah. So in other words, CRT we all know is not real. That would be misinformation. CRT is critical race theory. Right? Critical race theory. Yes, the thing that does not exist that yet is is being pushed uh, throughout the school system. But um, you know, she talks about things like that and um, weaponizing emotions. That's how she described it. And so, again, you're going to have somebody like that. And uh, I didn't tie this specifically to guns in the Second Amendment, but I easily could have. Um, I think I was dealing with the same thing that, that your nephew Sam was talking about, right? I've got to keep this under 500 words. People yeah. won't read it. Right. Uh, you know, I don't write anything in less than 500 words. You know, I've, it's a challenge for me to keep it around 700 or so. So I didn't really tie that in. But you, you easily could. I mean, as, as gun owners, we've been dealing with disinformation for what the last 30 years or 40 years anyway yeah, at least coming from the government and all sorts of different places to have um you know and, and you could see the problems it causes for gun owners and for the second amendment you can see how the um how things are mischaracterized and twisted just because of the information that's out there i mean even listening to uh the last guest that we were talking to who's uh, running for assembly yeah. who was saying you know that oh it's well it's an education problem because the laws they write just don't make any sense they don't address the things that they're supposed to be addressing and yeah i i guess unless you put it in context if you look at it from the view that well no they are certainly addressing the problem they're trying to address um, where you have an issue is the, the problem they're trying to address is not crime. It's not public safety. The problem they're trying to address is Americans owning guns. Mm. That's the problem they're yeah. trying to address. And if you look at it in that context, it's not, it's not that they're not educated. They know exactly what they're doing. And the laws that they write are intended to hinder Americans from, uh, owning firearms basically. And, um, you know, just making it harder to buy firearms, make it harder to own firearms, make it harder to use firearms. And so the article you wrote, like what's if, if like in two sentences, like what's the <laughs> scariest thing? You know what I mean? Like like if someone reads the article and walks away, you know, what should they be terrified of? I think the fact that the government is actually doing this, that we can have a a government body that's specifically named, you know, the uh, Disinformation Governance Board that's yeah. specifically chartered 
to decide what you can see and what you can't see because that's that's a huge problem in this country right now, now. What are they actually going to be able to do? Is it are they really going to like you know like what are they actually going to be what, what power do they have well that that stands to i guess be seen here see. um because it's being challenged there was uh at least last time i looked there was 20 there were 20 different states um i think they were all pretty much red states that were challenging this now saying that you can't do this this is illegal it's not constitutional you can't have the government decide what the american people can see what they can't see so i i assume the way you would go about doing this uh, social media has got to be a big thing and it's already been in the news that they've been trying to pressure, uh, probably pretty successfully, they've been pressuring Twitter and Facebook and those platforms uh, to not have things. Like um, President Trump, for instance, is banned from Twitter. Okay, so now someone's decided. Well, not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. Thank he you, may, He may come back. <laughs> but, um, you know, someone's decided now that, okay, this, this person's political views, this is a president of the United States, a former president, and okay, his his views now are misinformation, uh, and so you can't hear them. I mean that that should be frightening because you can't you can't have a democracy or or a representative republic, which is what we have. But you can't have a free people in that kind of government if people aren't free to see information. If people can't debate ideas, if um you know one side can't throw out okay, we believe this this is and this is why, and then the other side can't come back and say, well, we think you're wrong because of this. If I'm not allowed to hear that, how can I possibly, you know, make decisions? How could we possibly, you know, pick representatives to govern if if we're not allowed to do that? Well, and it's crazy to think that in order for uh, Twitter to, you know, in order to protect a First Amendment right, Twitter had to be privatized. You know, an individual had to take it. wasn't the government that stepped in and said, hey, we're going to defend and preserve people's rights. It was some billionaire. We right. stepped in and said, "Hey, we're going to preserve and 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 defend, you know, rights," which is crazy to think about. That's a that's a one eighty of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and, and well, what's been in the news the last you know couple of months anyway was that there there were reports of the administration trying to pressure these these organizations to do that, and from you know from the um, reaction of a lot of these organizations, you have to think that they were they were reasonably successful. But, um, you know, the idea that they're coming out and doing this officially is just just terrible. Americans should be alarmed. It is alarming. Even if they have no power on year one, by year 10 or 15 or year 20, if this goes into effect, they're going to have a lot of power. Everything is little bits and pieces. That's how they accomplish this stuff. Phil Thalheimer is up next. He's going to talk about the San Diego Flight Training International School that he runs. Looking forward to talking with him more. Stay with us here on Gun Owners Radio, 1170 AM. The answer. Gun Owners Radio, 961, 1170 AM. The answer. Hey, Mike, did you see that story about Boeing's new invisible plane? You know, I did, but uh, I just can't see them taking off. All right, maybe Phil has some ideas on that next. Have you ever dreamed about becoming a pilot? Make that dream come true at San Diego Flight Training International. We are excited to welcome San Diego Flight Training International as our sponsor, Learn to fly, start the adventure of a lifetime in the heart of San Diego, right at Montgomery Field. Getting started is easy. Give them a call at 858-569-1822. Learn to fly with SDFTI. Call today, 
569-1822. And from San Diego Flight Training International, we have Phil Fallheimer. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for being a sponsor. Very much appreciate uh, you supporting the show. So, so tell us a little bit about the the uh, your, your school. Well, we opened up in 1989, and we've had the same management and same mission from the beginning. We do only one thing. We train people to fly. We take them from zero time on to the uh, all the way up to the airlines oh, and, wow. ev- and everything in between. So somebody walks off the street, says, hey, I want to learn how to fly. They can work their way up from a... I don't know a Cessna to a to a seven forty seven. Well, we can't. We t- we basically take them to the point where they they go to the airlines and the airlines train them where they want to go. Yeah, yeah. So I describe it as we handle basically K through twelve education, and then when you get to college, you pick your major. <laughs> what is the most misunderstood thing? What, what what do you want people to know that they probably have wrong about learning to fly? I think the most misunderstood thing, and they believe it's really so difficult, and you, you have to have perfect physical, perfect eyes, perfect this, that, and the other. I mean, I always harken back to a, a guy walked in a number of years ago who was a navigator on a B-17, so you can get his age. I mean, he was in the late 80s, yeah. and he always wanted to fly. And I told him, go out and get your Federal Aviation Medical, and we'll teach you how to fly. And we did. He got his license. I don't think he ever flew by himself, but he wanted to be in the front of the plane. And so, wow. and we've taught people as young as 14, 15 uh, all the way up to some in the middle eighties. Wow! And now, which was more helpful to the industry, Pink Floyd's learning to fly or Tom Petty's learning to fly? I'm just kidding. I'm well, kidding. I, I'm kind of a country guy, so <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go. I'll with, go with Tom Petty. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, how did you get into flying, Phil? You know, I've I've always been that kind of person. I'm sure you know about it. Who the kid who was at the airport, stood at the fence, looked at the sky. I, I, I say people, it's all that you, people have a kind of a flying gene. They may not become pilots, but nobody who doesn't have that gene ever, ever gets in an airplane. It's just something about it. That's almost existential. Wow. What, where did you, you grew up in back East, right? I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Um, and, uh, there were planes going over my house all the time, including uh, we were not too far from a Naval Air Station where they uh, where the P-3s went out to chase Russian submarines. Yeah, P-3 Orion, right? Uh-huh, P-3 Orion. So how? So what was your progression? How did you, 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 you did you take lessons as a kid? Or No, I came out to California to go to graduate school, and I was in a Ph.D. program, and I always had found reasons not to learn to fly, and finally I said, I'm going to do this. I need to get something, get my head out of a library and into a classroom. And what I learned was that the thing about aviation and flying is you need to focus on it. You need to focus on what you're doing. It's not inherently dangerous. It's not inherently difficult, but it doesn't treat people who are arrogant or are kind of uh, not focused very well. Hey, talk about that. Like, what do you mean? Like, what if I'm arrogant um, and I'm flying a plane, what, what you know? What, what works against me? You got to be very because when I th- when I think of pilots, you know what I mean. Isn't that kind of the stereotype? Yeah, it is. It is for the, <laughs> but it is the stereotype of kind of the fighter pilot. But I, I'll say, that's why they they only put one seat in a fighter pilot. And that's <laughs> why they're there, uh, and they're phenomenal aviators, but not necessarily great, great teachers of aviation. Um, what I mean by that is you under, have to understand the limits of what your limits and the limits of your equipment, uh, and. And it's, you really need to stay ahead of the airplane, stay focused on what you're doing. There's no place to pull over. The CHP isn't going to come and bail you out. Mm. 
You know, it's things like that. You better know how much fuel you have on the plane. You better know how to use the radio. And we teach that. I mean, that's why you could walk into a place in La Jolla or some place and, and walk out with a Maserati if you had the money from that the dealership there. Right. I don't care if you're Bill Gates. If you walk and buy a $30,000, you know, Cub, you're not going to be able to fly it until you put 40 to 50 hours into it. And that's really the difference. Wow. So you, 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 just backing up, you said you had, you were going through a PhD program. Do you have your PhD? I, I have a master's degree. You have a master's degree? And what, what was what? Industrial and organizational psychology. Wow. So is this, is that, is this your, your, is this what you applied it to, or do you does, do you, do you have is this no, a side hustle or is no this? no no I, this is all I've been doing since two thousand wow. uh, full time. But before that, I was a, I was basically a senior management at the city of San Diego, uh, and I was also the chief information officer for the city of San Diego. Oh, interesting, because that's probably led. I don't know. A lot of people don't know, but you you actually ran for office. I did. I did. I you know I realized that I could do a better job, and the I guess the population in San Diego disagreed. <laughs> Well, but the the uh, the uh, the pilot industry uh, benefited. I hope so. I hope so. We've trained thousands over the years. I think I, I think another misunderstanding about being a pilot is I think a lot of people think that if unless you join the military, that's it. There's no way to do it, and that I, I think that's completely false. That I, is completely false. And and there was a, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about six or seven years ago, and it talked that very issue. Talked about that during World War II, they would send thousands of airplanes to a target. By Korea, they were down to about 40 to 45 aircraft per target. By the first Iraq war, they were down to four aircraft per target. But the technology got so good that now they're down to one aircraft of four targets. So if you figure that out, you just don't need the pilots. And the military is not producing them and hasn't been for a long time. Um, you really have most of the people that are flying the airplanes today are actually folks that came out of the civilian world almost exclusively. And my understanding, the weather's so good in San Diego that it's one of the best places in the nation to train, right? Because you guys have so many days of sunshine. Yeah. It's it's one of the best places in the world to train because we have that. We fly maybe 355, 360 days a year. But more than that, we have this, such variable terrain. You can you've got issues of the ocean. You've got you've got the mountains, and what you've also got is an international border. And we've got major civilian aviation right by, and major military aviation. So, I would put our students up against anybody in the country. They wow. have more experience than people with thousands of hours coming from, let's say, Kansas or Nebraska. Do you get international students? We are, and primarily. We're 60%, 70% international. You know, I, I, I had a buddy of mine's an instructor. He actually fly, he flies a, like, a, like a private jet for like uh -huh. a group of doctors uh -huh. or something, and then he's also an instructor, and he told me this story. He's uh, over in Arizona, and he said, yeah, they send a lot of uh, people from uh, South Korea. Yes. A lot, of, a lot of folks come over from South Korea to learn how to, to fly, and he's telling me, I'm going to way oversimplify this, so if you're listening and, and you know better than I, you know, but basically, he said that uh, a, a lot of the careers, or they just kind of assign you a, a career, like, hey, you're a this, you're a that, you know, or or maybe just give you kind of a broad, you know, um, uh, you know, field, and you, you, you're kind of limited in what you can and can't do. And so, a lot of the pilots that he sees from from South Korea were kind of assigned, you know, this as a job, like, hey, you're going to go be a pilot. And they weren't that excited about it, and he couldn't understand that. He's up in the air. He he, he was, you know, had a a, a student, and they're right, up in the right. air, and he's looking around, and he goes. You know, man, this is amazing, isn't it? And he looks over, and the guy's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And it's almost—he was almost like he was learning how to like drive a bus, you know. 
And it, it the, the reason I thought of that is that whole, you were just saying there's this pilot gene, you yeah. know, that like, hey, yeah. you either love it or, yeah. you know, whatever. But I was amazed by that. Is, is so? Tell me about the international students you guys get. You know, we get a lot of students out of Korea, actually, right now, South Korea. Um, we're also uh, getting a lot of students out of India. And it ranges. Some of them are from very wealthy families, and they're and they're just the kids are just being sent. But others are pretty serious. And but going back to what you said about you know the joy of it, and I tell people all the time, you know, a lot of you've been on an airliner, you remember the last five minutes of the flight where you can see the ground and see right. going in or flying into San Diego, you see Balboa Park. Well, we live there. That's the ten, you know, the eight to ten to twelve thousand foot world. That's our world. You right. see that all the time. In, with my students, it's magnificent. It is just absolutely magnificent to do. Do, do you have like a, what's? Do you have a typical pilot? No, uh, although I've got some. You know what? We've got two types groups. We have basically the ones that want professional aviation, and the other ones who hate the TSA, and they just <laughs> want to basically be able to fly themselves. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's say, are there levels, or you're, like you're a pilot, you're a pilot. No, there are levels. There's a, as for example, I'm not a commercial pilot. That's a separate license. I have what's called a private pilot's license, which allows me to fly with passengers anywhere in the United States. I'm also instrument rated, which means I can fly in bad weather. Beyond, but I can't fly for hire. So the next level would be the commercial pilot, and that would be anybody from fish, a fish spotter to a certified flight instructor to driving, a, you're like your friend doing the commercial jet. Right. And beyond that are the airline pilots, and it's the next level. It's called an airline transport pilot, or you hear, you'll hear it as ATP. And that's the people who are actually flying you know, for United or you know, whoever. And Okay, so once you get a, your license, you're a pilot, um, what do you do? Can you just... You know, say, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm going to rent a plane this weekend. and You can, and that's exactly right. And the, the only thing is the school or the place will ask you to prove that you can actually fly the darn thing. And so they'll take you up on what's called a check flight with one of their instructors, and they'll, and they'll give you authorization to rent their aircraft. And then you can maintain your qualifications and your current, what's called currency technically, pretty easily after that. So you don't have to own a plane to be a pilot? No, most people do not. Most people do not. I would imagine, I don't know, how much is a plane? Like if you're going to buy a Cessna, what do you It what do you depends how many people you want to, and how many, how fast you want to get there. So uh, what's, you know, what, is there a, a new, uh, well, a new Cessna 172, which is a four-seater today, you're looking at about 700K. $700,000? Yes, sir. Oh, now, wow. there, a used one for, let's say, uh, which has which would have decent uh, radios and stuff from, let's say, 2000 to 2005 has about, a th let's say, been, been flying for about 1,000 or 1,500 hours. You're still looking at well over $200,000. Wow, I didn't realize. When I was a kid, my, uh, my, old man's a, 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 my old man was a pilot in college. So that would have been like the, oh, I should know this, uh, like the early uh, 60s, maybe late 50s, probably late 50s. He was a, he was a pilot going in college. And then he had a whole career that had nothing to do with being a pilot. He never, never touched a, a yoke right, again. Right. And then retired, you know, and in the late 2000s, uh, you know, almost like 2010, something like that. And then went back and got his license. Yeah. So he, he got me when I was 14, he got me a, a ride in a Cessna 172 out of Florida. And it was so fun. It was so, so much fun. But uh, we got to pay some bills. We got to go to a uh, commercial. So hang out and we're going to talk more to Phil about San Diego Flight Training International here on KCBQ 1170 AM. The answer. 
everybody. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio here on 961, 1170 AM. The answer. All right. PRMI Mortgage. PrimeRes.com slash Alpine. Are you in the military looking for help for a VA loan? If you are looking to buy a refi or if you're considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all of their mortgage needs. Call Chris Wiley at 619-722-1303 or primeres.com slash alpine. I'm not making fun of Dave anymore about reading these. <laughs> it's harder than it looks. I mean, it's fun making fun of Dave when he trips over it, but it's actually kind of hard. Anyway, <clears throat> hope you're doing great, Dave. So we're talking to Phil Thalheimer about San Diego Flight uh, Training International, San Diego Flight Training International, where they're going to teach you how to fly. So we were just talking about, okay, you get your you get your license, then you can actually fly. You can go down and, and, and rent a, a, a plane. How does that work? Like, talk about the prices. Okay, the there are flying clubs almost all over. There's some in San Diego. The pricing about renting an airplane is a little different than a car because it's you only pay for when the engine's on, and they include fuel. So, for example, like one of my aircraft, if we don't rent them, but if we they would rent them, they would f- rent for about one hundred and fifty to one hundred and sixty dollars an hour with fuel. But to give you an idea of what that is, that plane flies at one hundred and forty-five to one hundred and fifty miles an hour. So that you're looking at getting to, let's say, Vegas in an hour and a half, and it'll carry four adults, and then you can bring them back. Uh, it's actually pretty cost effective. Oh wow! Okay, so what if I want to go to Vegas for four days? Do I do I you know what I mean? Like, does the plane, the plane would work? the plane would sit, and the different clubs have different rules. But like, for example, one club I know in San Diego, you have to you have to fly the airplane, or you'll be billed for one hour a day. So over four, if it's four days, would be four hours. Well, the flight in and out of Vegas is going to take three to three and a half. So you're right there, and you've had the airplane for four days. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, That's that seems, the, seems and it includes easy. all the fuel. <laughs> it seems really really easy. Now there's something. What is, it? is there's something like a there's something called it's like a two hundred dollar hamburger. That oh, that's What's the it? story of going to Catalina, and so because it was you know it's roughly a forty five fifty minute flight depending on you're flying. So that yet yeah, and that's the two hundred dollar hamburger. So you've spent that getting in and out of Catalina to get your basically to get your your buffalo burger. Okay, so so you want to go flying? You want, you decide to go to Catalina? That's your your trip. It, so you it's fly a over. beautiful flight out there. I've done it many times, and it has a it's a, I don't. People have said to me, I have no idea, but it's the closest thing for a civilian to like landing on an aircraft carrier because the, the runway comes out of nowhere and then ends out of nowhere. So it just disappears. And uh, if you don't know what you're doing, there have been some accidents, sadly, where people thought they didn't have enough runway left, they couldn't see it, and they rolled right off the end. Jeez. Into mm. what? Uh, a ravine. Oh, that's the worst place you want to run into. <laughs> it's a bad day. It's a really bad day. <laughs> I think that's only... A ravine is only second to a mountain, I think, yeah. is... The- yeah. Either way, you don't want to run into either of those. Right. What do you see? Like when you're when you're flying over the ocean like that, do you see? If you, can you look down and see sharks and, no. and um, whales, I, and, I think in all my flying over an ocean, I think I've seen a whale for real once. What was the? What was? What was the? Uh, what's like the most memorable flight? What's What's a flight where you know that you just think like, oh man. I used to do this by myself, and I'll, I'll state up front. I, I, I don't have a, I, I can't fly by myself. I lost what, what the required medical. I still have a license, but I can't fly what they call pilot in command anymore. And uh, many, many years ago, when I was uh, was single, I would take uh, an airplane up early on a Saturday morning, right up up the coast here, 
and I would basically put the bottom of the airplane in a cloud and keep the top of it out of a cloud. It is patently illegal, and I'll oh. say that to do that. Yeah. But I had a blast. I lo- it was such a it was such a, a transcendental experience to see the the wings cut the cloud like that. And above me was clear, bright sunshine, and below me was the cloud. And fortunately, this was long enough ago that any any kind of uh, statute of limitations long expired. <laughs> there you go. In case anyone's listening. In case anybody from the FAA is listening. The FAA. Um, what's the relationship? There seems to be a relationship between pilots and firearms is that is that fair to say i most of the people that i that i'm in that i've been around and they're in my school and other places they all are very pro second amendment yeah and i think it's my theory i'm gonna see what you think but my theory is that the type of person who's flying an airplane is the type of person that's probably fairly self-reliant and and that goes hand in hand with you know having the most effective self defense tool known to man, which is a firearm. Uh, it seems like it's the same, the same person, the same woman, the same guy. There there is there's a very much of a, of a survival of an independence of being of free. You you want to ch- you know you want to choose where you go. You want to fly when you want to go. There's that part, and there's also it takes skills, and it both takes skills. So people want to learn to be good at this, and they both and they're both is. A, at least a belief there's a relative edge of danger. So you really don't want to take this lightly. Everything in, in aviation as well as in my experience with firearms is you want to take the best train you can and you want to be as safe as possible. How, is, a, is, is a firearm kind of standard equipment when you're going flying or nah, not really? No, not no, really. Not that I'm aware of. Is there a fire? Is there, wasn't, is it the AR-7 was actually created for pilots? Is that right? I don't think so. I think the Israelis used it with their with their in the 80s with their air force for a while. I I don't think it was created necessarily for pilots. I think it was created for a survivalist because it's small and fairly accurate. Yeah, yeah. You can, you know, back it all into the right. into the stock. It's all about weight and space in an, in a cockpit. It's interesting. You ever been to the uh you have I, I'm going to ask you this. Of course you've been. To Oshkosh? Have you been to Oshkosh? Once. Just once? Once. Okay, now I'm actually surprised. Do you remember what year? Uh, oh my goodness! It would have been maybe ninety. Ninety? I I went in. Uh, was it ninety? I might have been there in ninety. It might have been eighty nine, ninety. I, my dad took me, and I, I feel the, the same way about Oshkosh that I feel about, frankly, the basically Miramar, the air show. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Uh, not know, that exciting. Not that you know. I, I get you. I I live around airplanes. That's not where I want to spend my social time. Well, you know, the, uh, the that's where I learned in Oshkosh was where I, I, I walked through a C-5 Galaxy, yes. which was, at the time, the biggest airplane yes. in the world. And the guy, I don't know. The Wright it, Brothers flight could take place inside the C-5. That's what I was going to say. That's what I learned is that the uh, the Wright Brothers' first flight was was uh, shorter and, than the and cargo. And lower than the cargo space. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I saw a jump jet, too. That was cool. Hey, it must have been like 88, yeah. 88, 89, something like that. But man, I was oh, I was a teenager. I was with my old man. It was fun. Oh, it's a flying building. The thing, the plane's enormous. And yeah. then if you, I don't know if you got down to, uh, I guess it was Brown Field, uh, when the Russian, when that big Russian transport, I don't know, the Antof something with the was it, eight engines and 40 tires or something. I mean, that's even bigger than the C5. It's closer to C7. It's like the C17 size. It's the, These planes are just flying buildings. It's just, they're enormous. This, that was in San Diego at one uh-huh. point? Yeah. Uh-huh. What were they doing? Air show. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. 
That makes sense. All right. So if I want to learn how to fly, um, what am I putting aside? What do I got to stuff the piggy bank with? To basically get your private pilot license, which would allow you to fly in good vis- visible weather with passengers, you're looking about $11,000, I tell people, plus or minus 10%, depending on your skill set. And you're looking at about 50 to 55 hours of actual time in the cockpit with about 25 to 30 of ground instruction. You know, okay, so that that's 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 a little pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, you know, uh, I don't have that in my pocket, but but we it's wouldn't not expect that bad. you to. We wouldn't expect you to. We, the no, very but, few people pay it up front. Um, it's in. We have lots of students who basically what I call pay by the drink. They put a thousand on the account, they fly it off. They put another thousand on the account, and they fly it off. But that, but, but that's not that bad. Eleven thousand no, to get no. to your. I mean, I, I think most of our listeners probably have a firearms collection that's about that. <laughs> well, and also no. most of the people I talk to who don't know anything about aviation, if you ask that question, they're going to say, oh, thirty, forty, you know, thousand dollars to get their private pilot's license. I would have said that. If you'd, you'd, if you'd have asked me yeah. before, I would have said thirty, forty thousand. Uh, I mean, you can do that, but you're going to, but you're going to be flying basically, you know, a half a million, you know, million dollar aircraft. You don't. That's not what you do at this level. And for that kind of money, actually, for fifty to sixty thousand dollars, we can take you all the way to the point where you're ready for the airlines. Now, is the is the um, I don't know what to call it. It's not a sport. It's not a hobby. Is it, what is it? The industry, the for activity. Some, for some people, it's a, it's an it's a, a hobby. For other people, it's a profession. Is 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 the is it? Um, yeah, are you guys trying to expand? Is there are you hurting for people to like? Hey, we really need to expand this. Or are you guys inundated? You mean San Diego flight training? Yeah. Well, no. no in, we, we in, after after COVID, yeah. we've got we right now have a lot of available assets. I mean, we you know we're getting better. This is we're coming at we've come out of it. But COVID was really tough because particularly at my school, we're an international flight school, hence the name. And so we were struck by it much earlier. We got most of our students from Southeast Asia. So the United States started shutting down around March of was it 2020? I guess it was. Yeah. We was we were started seeing a. The embassies closed around the world around Thanksgiving of 2019, and when the embassies closed, we were in real trouble. That I'm glad you guys navigated yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, well, that, we were lucky. We had a lot of cash on hand. We don't anymore, but uh, we didn't lay anybody off, and we paid every bill. That's awesome. Congratulations. But the uh, the the point is, no one you're, no one's waiting in line. If you if you call Phil no, up and say, no. "Hey, I want to learn," boom. No. We and we start. We literally could start people the same day. Wow. What would you learn the same day? Uh, you'd get you get your first flight, introduction to the aviation. We'd probably put you in a simulator. We may even put you in an airplane if we have if we don't have a scheduling conflict. I don't know if I want to, I've been thinking about this for so long, Phil. Should I should I should I do this? Absolutely. <laughs> what do you guys do? Helicopters too? No, we're no. purely fixed wing. But we there's, there's a very good helicopter school on the field. Uh, I, I I love the guys. They're called corporate. They I, deserve your business. I, I have zero interest in a helicopter. That looks terrifying. <laughs> Which, uh, are you? Do helicopters make you nervous at all? I've never been in one, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing about flying. It doesn't feel like fly, like heights. No. If you're afraid of heights, no. you can fly. I, I get that a lot. You can fly. They, and it's and they, I tell people about the safety issue, and I say, if if car accidents were as uncommon as aviation accidents, you'd hear about them all the time. Mm. You just don't. The reason you hear about aviation accidents on the news is because they're so uncommon. Interesting. So you're safer than driving a car. Uh, yes, I think you are. Statistically, statistically, much safer than driving a car. <laughs> what do you think the future of aviation is? Is it growing? I think it is growing. I think the future of aviation is going to be automation, and there's a push for. And I don't. I 
I don't know how they're going to get there, but to electrify the airplanes. I mean, there's a big mm. push now to, to, to use batteries and solar. Uh, the problem is weight. The issue yeah. is, and so until they deal with the, with the weight of either solar panels or batteries, I don't see it happening. It, it, it also feels like, well, I mean, it's 2022. We were promised flying cars, you know, back in the 80s, right? Kelly, Kelly's nodding her head over there. Yeah, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to, to that, you know, conceptually. Yep, we are. There was a there was an, an article about it this week. They're coming out. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. It's almost like I read. All right. Stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be back with, uh, I think it's up for uh, Sam the Gunman next, Stump My Nephew. So stick around with us. KCBQ, 1170 AM. The Answer. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio here on 961, 1170 AM. The answer. We live in a time where the mainstream media and politicians are trying to eliminate your ability to defend yourself. California's gun roster only stops you, the law abiding gun owner, from having the newest, safest, most reliable handguns. The assault weapon ban only stops you, the law abiding gun owner, from having the most popular, easy to use rifle to protect yourself and your loved ones. The high-capacity magazine ban only limits you, the law-abiding gun owner, from having more than 10 rounds. Criminals in the government don't have that limit. Help us restore and defend the Second Amendment. Hit the like and subscribe button and share the show with your friend. Go to gunownersradio.com, gunownersradio.com. Or if you want to watch us on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash gunownersradio. Sign up for our newsletter, and uh, you'll get an email about once a week to let you know what's uh, everything that's going on. So... All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Stump, My Nephew. This is where we uh, we found out that my nephew, Sam the Gunman, is extremely good when it comes to gun trivia. So we have him on every week, and if you send in a question, we uh, if we use it on the radio, we're going to give you a hat or a shirt. And if you actually stump my nephew, um, we're going to give you something special. Um, we we I think I think this. I think what we're doing is if you stump if you stump them, we're giving you a couple of tickets to Gun Prom, which is coming up on June 18th. If you haven't bought your tickets for Gun Prom yet, please do. Go to gunprom.com, gunprom.com, June 18th, 5.30 p.m., doors open at the Town & Country down in Mission Valley. Come join us. Uh, last year we had darn near 1,000 people, and uh, this year I think we're, we're probably going to have about the same amount. You'll get to meet Action Jackson. You're coming, right, bud? Definitely. You got your uh, you got your tuxedo picked out already. Yep, Just and bow tie and shoes. Very nice, very nice, very classy. And are you uh, you bringing Chase, your pooch? Yep. Yep, and you're bringing Mom Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, there you go. Gunprom.com. All right. Stump my nephew, Sam. You there? Yeah. How are you guys? Good, man. How are you? Not bad. Hey, we were just at one of our sponsors, uh, Phil Fallheimer. We were he, he, the sponsor is actually San Diego Flight Training International, which is a, uh, uh, a you know flight training school. So we were just talking about flying for a couple of segments. Did, we, did you did you listen in? Uh, no, I wasn't listening in, but that sounds interesting. Yeah, well, I was telling them that you're a pilot. How long have you been a pilot? Uh, how long have I had my license, or how long have I been training? Both. I've had my license since I was uh, about 17, so like five years now. Um, but the the first time I ever uh, 
took a flight in a small airplane. I think I, I must have been six or something. Yeah, I think I think I think we've seen pictures because uh, your old man's a pilot, right? Yeah, your old man's a pilot. You have two grandfathers that were pilots, right? Yeah, yeah. One uh, one military and the other civilian, right? And uh, an uncle that's not a pilot, and an uncle who's not a pilot. But he did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Last <laughs> Yeah, I was telling Phil about uh, about your your grandfather uh, Gideon and how he was uh, he was in what was the movie? Um, the documentary was called Above and Beyond. And and tell talk talk a little bit about Gideon. Um, he was uh, one of the American volunteers who uh, chose to risk legal penalty and go abroad to uh, Israel to fight in the uh, War of Independence for the new state. Yeah, because he had a he was a pilot. He was a P fifty one pilot, if I remember correctly, right? He was in the war. In, uh, so that would have been nineteen forty eight. World War, yeah, yeah. In Israel, did, now you, did you say you saw the movie, Phil? I read the book. Yeah. So, do you remember the name Gideon Lichman? I remember the name Gideon. I don't remember the rest of it, but it was it was it was based on one of the books called Zanika, which talks about the Israel the growth of the Israeli Air Force. His his grandfather Gideon was an absolute character. What was the Robert Duvall? Uh, uh, Great Santini, remember that? You remember that movie? Yeah. It was about a pilot. Yeah. My my father was a gun runner for the Haganah. Actually, after World War II, I, I don't know what that means. What it, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces before they became the Israeli Army, the, it was called the Haganah, and my father basically worked out with an American surplus supplies in Europe and got them to the Israelis, which are then called the Palestinian. It was the Palestinian Brigade. Right. It's a it's a long story. Yeah, well, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating story, yeah. Yeah. and it was it was like piecemealed together. I mean, they were just you know duct tape and and band aids and paper yeah. clips. And, and I mean, the short story is that an officer would come up to my father and say, you know, if this X Y Z truck weren't here in the morning, we'd be okay with that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Gideon, the thing I like best about the movie, I mean, the movie was fascinating. Check it out. Got to watch it. Uh, it was really fascinating. But what I liked best about the movie, it was so Gideon. They, it was very dramatic. They were talking about like, hey, they went over in the Czechoslovakia and they had these old you know, planes and they were piecing together with these different parts. And, right. you know, they risked everything. And, and, and it was very dramatic. And it was like you're on the edge of your seat going, oh, my gosh, yeah. I can't believe these guys did it. And then they they'd show Gideon. And he's talking about, yeah, we went over there and we were chasing girls. It was great. We had a beer. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Some of the first planes were actually Messerschmitts, and yeah. they had, so that they they were using Nazi aircraft to defend Israel. It's it's just a, such a phenomenal story. There was right, uh, Sam. What they used Messerschmitt. He, he he flew a, a Messerschmitt, right? Um, yeah, a variant thereof. The 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 story behind it is more complicated, but that's. Uh, that wasn't the question, was it? No, it's not the mm -hmm. question. All right, let's get to the question. You're right. Um, okay. Uh, Phil, you want to take the question? Sure. What was the purpose of a padlock no, key no, no, gun? My, actually, oh. Mike from oh. Benito. Oh, excuse me. Mike from Benito asks, what was the purpose of a padlock key gun? Padlock key gun. Um, that's kind of a deep cut. Uh, back <laughs> in the, uh, the 19th century, the 1800s, um, if you were a jailer in the Old West, you needed some way to make sure that the person you were handling in, in the jail cell didn't try to pull a fast one on you and try to escape or try to attack you, whatever. And so there were these, there, I, I think they're really rare, um, there were these uh, keys that worked as single-shot 
little pistols, I guess you could call them. And the idea was that you would, when you were locking or unlocking the, the cell door, you would always have um, the, the ability to shoot the occupant should the need arise. Or, of course, something like that would be useful, I guess, for a night watchman um, at some kind of a, a secure building, um, you know, sort of double purpose. That's impressive. Very it's good. Nephew. It's my nephew. Mm-hmm. You want to read the, the actual the description there? Sure. I mean, he's almost verbatim. But. A padlock key gun was used by jailers in the late 1700s and early 1800s to unlock the padlocks that secured cells and as a single-shot defensive firearm. They were approximately 35 cal. Exactly right. So these bi- those big honk. You remember that it's it was like like out of the like a pirate movie. You had those big honking padlocks that were, you know, like like I don't know, like 10 inches by 10 inches. You had a key, and that yeah. key was so big it just doubled as a 35 caliber gun. It was a single shot 35 caliber gun, and if any of them stepped out of line, boom. Impressive. Nice job, man. So 22 years old. How long have you been on the show now? Uh, three years now, I think coming up on three years. I swear he's missed you know, every week he's on. I swear he's missed like three. <laughs> he's missed like three. Did you, Phil? If we'd asked you this before the show, would you have known the answer? Not if my life depended on it. <laughs> All right, Sam. Good job, bud. As always. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on again. As always. Yeah, you saved me a couple tickets to Gun Prom. Are you are you coming this year? Um, I don't think I'll be able to, unfortunately. That sounds like a yes. Awesome. I'll have to, <laughs> there's two kinds of there's two kinds of people. There's people that agree with me and the undecided. Sounds like Sam's undecided right now. That's well, uh, that's that's certainly one attitude with which to approach life. <laughs> Sam, awesome job, man. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, good night. All right. So it is. Uh, we got a couple more minutes. I'm going to do a quick mic drop. So last week, Marnie Van Wilpert, who's the city council member for San Diego, and Mara Elliott, who is the city attorney for the city of San Diego, uh, put out this huge press release congratulating themselves and patting themselves on the back for using the regulation that they championed and passed that essentially prevents people from manufacturing, home manufacturing a firearm. They call it a ghost gun law or, or that they're preventing ghost guns. But that's really – that's not true at all. It's not what they're doing. What they've done is they've completely stopped and uh, criminalized your ability to home manufacture a firearm, not for sale, not for use as, as, a, as a crime, but as a hobby, as something that you do in your, in your, you know, with your, with, in your spare time with your own tools for your own use. Now, they finally have used this, but they really, really had to thread a needle to do it. There was a guy who was being pursued by cops. He decided to take him on a high-speed chase. He threw his gun out the window. Um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty bad. Um, rather than prosecute him for the various felonies that, he, was, that could, he could have been prosecuted, the city attorney took the case and prosecuted him under this misdemeanor and uh, decided that, hey, you know what? The gun he had was manufactured illegally and not in the manner uh that uh that's 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 required therefore that's what we're going to hang him on and he got a whopping 43 days in jail so you got this criminal who was committing crimes who ran from cops who had an illegal firearm that he illegally made that illegally had no serial number on it all that state law, and they decided to go after him for the for the misdemeanor just so they could prove a point because their 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 useless law was just sitting there doing nothing. 
I think they should both step down. They should both resign from office. It is the, the, the press uh, release that they put out and the statements that they put out, extremely irresponsible and frankly dishonest. That's your mic drop. Mic drop. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Awesome job, Action Jackson. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Joe. Um, subscribe to our show and give us a five-star review. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and Spotify. And please, please, please support all our great sponsors, particularly Phil Fallheimer. I think you should make the decision right now. It's uh, it's not quite the new year, but make a, a mid-new year resolution to get your pilot's license. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm seriously thinking about it. I, it was really exciting talking to you. I Thank really you. enjoyed it. Thank you. So thank you all our great sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, Orange County Gun Owners, Inland Empire Gun Owners, The Dillon Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Sage Tree Digital, Seal One, Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers, and of course, San Diego Flight Training International. Dave Stahl, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Joe Dramisi. Thank you, me, Sam the Gunman, awesome job, Action Jackson, and of course, the maestro himself, Brendan Thomas. See you all next week. Gun Owners Radio, 96.1, 1170 AM. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.